Happy Monday. This is a tomorrow Christian today. Um, doing Second Peter chapter 3. The day of the Lord is coming. I hope everyone had a nice day. Monday's always kind of rocky. Uh, in my church, we have a fellowship at 4.30. And we were just learning about prayer, about uh, how to pray. And for me, I've always kind of talked a lot and then said amen. It's very kind of fast. But, you know, this this person that was leading, she was talking about we were created in the breath of God. And all of Scripture is God-breathed. You know, Second Timothy 3.16, all Scripture has been breathed out by the Holy Spirit. And so when we're praying, it's like our breath is like a breath to God. And just talking about, um, we're not, it wasn't like meditating, but it was like taking a certain verse. Like meditating is when you empty yourself. That's not what you're doing when you're praying. Like maybe that's what the world is doing, or maybe that's what it looks like you're doing, but you're actually focusing on God. You're not trying to empty yourself. You're trying to fill yourself up with God. And so we were just, one verse that she had was, um, if I can find that verse, be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46 verse 10a. So she was just saying to do that. And as you do it, you're breathing it out. And then you're just quieting yourself. And you know, I I really found that really hard to do. Because when I kind of closed my eyes and just said this, I wasn't chanting it. I just kind of repeated it. And I tried to think of God and tried to focus. Okay, I want God to come in. Like I'm opening a door and I'm saying, coming and come in. And I could just feel my face just jangling. And all my nerves were just like buzzing. Like zzz, zzz, zzz. everything was buzzing. And it was really hard to stay focused on God. You know, because I'm saying, be still. Know that I'm God. You know, repeating that verse. And I was, then I was thinking, be still and know that you are, the, you are the Lord. So I was kind of changing the words. And I was praying a little bit, but not at the pace I usually do. Because sometimes I talk so quick that I just sort of interrupt myself and just stop halfway. You know, it's just the way my personality seems to be all frenetic and really not producing anything of value. And I was amazed how hard it was to dial myself down. And I'm just thinking, wow, I've been given a whole new way to pray. Not a chant, not a meditation, but just to just to calm right down and just try to feel the body, just try to go through the body and just, you know, my ear was twitching and, and my cheek was kind of jumping and I could feel my left hand was kind of, my fingers were kind of jangling like a tuning fork. And I'm thinking, this is craziness. No wonder I just always react, act and react and get frustrated real quickly. Like the body's just you know, twitching and moving and, and it's hard to focus because I keep focusing and then I'm like, oh, I, I'm tired now. I think I might fall asleep. No, I can't fall asleep. Okay. What was I doing again? Oh yeah. I'm opening the door to let God in and I'm kind of getting hungry. What about like getting three Big Macs after this? And you know what I mean? So I don't know if anybody has reworked their idea of prayer, but I've always prayed a certain way, just really fast. I've got a script I don't even remember what I'm what I'm gonna pray and then I just pray and then I say amen and you know it's not like I'm really talking to God it's just like I'm rolling through some kind of script anyways something to think about reading the second uh, Peter 3 in the NLT and I should pray so let me pray now dear Lord when we pray we're not just 
going through a ritual emotion. We're actually speaking to you. It's not for show. It's we're having a conversation with you. We're dialoguing with our heavenly Father, and with Jesus, Lord, who is Jesus. You're right there. It's like in my mind's eye, I can see you right next to the Father. And I would like to ask you to be in this reading of your Word, and to give us calmness, and to help us dial down and just. Help me to stop being so frenetic that I can just let you in and let you flow, you know, let you flow through my words. That my words will be your words, or that you will use my words, the good parts, and it will empower people to think about the Bible and to to take control of and and to read the Bible, not just put it into the hands of somebody else and just or just I'm going to go to church and hear a sermon. And pastor's going to tell me what he thinks, and that's good enough. It's not good enough. You want to have a personal, intimate connection with every single person, whether they're a man or a woman, a child or an old person, no matter what race they are. You want to have a dialogue with that person because you can best understand that person because you made every person. So I'm asking you, Lord, to give us that dialogue. Give us those words. Give us those ideas. Help us not to be in a rush. But to consider the matter prayerfully, thoughtfully, and and contemplatively, if that's a word that I can use, without going over the borders, without going over the narrow path, without going over the guardrails of the narrow path, because your Son is that path. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and He is the Word, and this is the Word. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. See, I always want to talk fast. I always I always want to rush. I told the person that I'm always living with my, you know, eye on the clock. What's the clock doing? Time waits for no man. I saw a, a video with Arnold, and he says, you know, some of us uh, sleep uh, six hours, some of us want to sleep eight hours. And you know what I say to that? Arnold says, sleep faster. <laughs> Arnold, <laughs> he has such a great sense of humor. He's getting, he's getting us all pumped up. Okay, so why don't we get pumped up with the word now? See, it's taken me six, six, six minutes to get going. This is my second letter to you, dear friends. And in both of them, I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. That's what God is doing, I think. He's stimulating our minds, our uh, creative thought, our, our Holy Spirit power, the operating system inside us all with his thinking, with his way, with his operational way of thinking not just not just procedural not just informational but relational and connective and integrational i want you to remember what the holy prophet said long ago and what our lord and savior commanded through your apostles like i said you know i've seen so many movies and peter just didn't seem like the kind of guy that would go to school and sit quiet he's just loud and boisterous and unfiltered he's just like the guy that's going to spend the time in the corner or in the principal's office <laughs> You mouthed off to the teacher again, didn't you? Or maybe somebody who was really friendly and gregarious and just couldn't keep silent if he saw something. Uh, maybe not the kind of person that's like a type A student, not because he's not smart, it's just that he can't sit still. And yet here he is telling us to remember what the Holy Prophet said. So obviously the lessons got into his head. And of course he was t taught by the greatest teacher ever, Jesus. Verse 3, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come. Has it always been like that? Has it always been, I mean, in Noah's time? But then again, that was the last days for that society. 
What about in Rome time? What about in the Greek society? In our day, what do we have? Are people who don't believe? Are there people inside Christianity who don't believe, who don't really believe in the virgin birth? Like they just don't believe these things? You know, I think if a guy loves Jesus and he says that, okay, I might get in trouble for this. Well, I don't know with who because I'm not really accountable to anybody except God. To say, okay, um, if Jesus was walking on water, one guy said, well, he was not really walking on the water. Like, like it wasn't a miracle. He was just walking in shallow water and the apostles uh, just got confused and they were afraid. And the whole point of it was not to really do a miracle, but was to bring people closer to God. Although there's a part where Peter is falling into the, into the sea and he says, help me, master, I'm drowning. And it doesn't seem like he was in shallow water, like in water up to his ankles. It seems like he was going down under. Right? So I guess, I guess I could say that does hermeneutics matter? Or does a person who have hermeneutics like that about shallow water, are they discounting the divine power of Jesus and God? Are they, are they discounting that and God doesn't like it? They don't have faith. What is our standard? Believing that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, that he came to give us a relationship with God? Or in addition to that, also believing that Jesus performed miracles where he set aside the laws of physics and actually did the things. I don't think I would be mad with somebody if they had... Um, option number one, although I'm option number two, I still think that Jesus did perform um, out of the, like he performed miracles that did set it, like he was walking on water. Okay, he wasn't running really fast across the water, across shallow water, like them sea dragons that you see skimming the water. He was actually walking over top the water molecules and not sinking. I believe that. But if I, if I were to meet a Christian who says, I love Jesus and I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe that, but I believe in option one, could I be friends with the person? I guess if they don't keep arguing about their hermeneutic. Because everybody seems to always be trying to make a point. If Is what I'm doing here, am I trying to make a point about what I believe? Because I do have beliefs too. I do have a certain way of interpreting the Bible. Some things I've had to rethink and some things I've tried to rethink and it's like, I just can't see it any other way. I learned it a certain way when I was young and I can't see it any other way. It makes sense to me that way. Is that a crime? Maybe I digress. From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. When I read this, I thought of the atheist people, but there are some atheists I have never met. They're probably very nice people. You know, and they just don't believe there's a God. They don't believe there's a Jesus. They think that, you know, that somehow molecules formed and lightning hit the water and the molecules became alive and they assembled themselves into, into protein chains and those protein chains had DNA that could... I just can't see it. But if I were to meet somebody, would I have to, like, crush them because they can't see what I can see? I, I think it's up to God to show that person, right, what is, what is the right way of thinking. Is that really what we want to do is we want to always win arguments and crush people? But I'm saying this about them is that I would think that they were the, they would be the ones that say everything is the same as it always been. There's always been crime. There's always been killing. There's always been sin. There's always been trouble. That's just how society is. A society starts and everybody's push, um, working together and then the society gets older and older and then it starts to divide because then nobody cares anymore or they're just used to the way it's always been, you know. So, I don't know. It, 
we always talk about people don't want to go to church anymore. The church, um, church is diminishing or this is a post-Christian society or people have moved on. They've moved on to science and scientism and religion is just for the masses. And just if you want to have a broken crutch or you need a sky daddy, I don't think so. I think God is relationship and I think there's a lot of emptiness in the world. And I'm not about religion. I'm about being filled with God. Because to me, when you're filled with God, then you have the strength to go on. Girl, a woman on Instagram said, there's nobody coming to save you. Get up. It's like, because some, for me, it's like, because somebody's coming to save me, I can get up. I can face the day. I can deal with the troubles. The pastor was, again, preaching from 1 Peter 1, 6 to 9. And he says, you have a hope, a living hope, not a wistful hope, but a living hope that is not based on circumstances because everyone's circumstances will be up and will be down. I was listening to a guy called Coach Greg. I really like him. He's a bodybuilding guy. And him and um, his uh, girlfriend, Ali, I think, they went to the Dominican Republic. And they were coming back in a taxi and there was a guardrail on a uh, piece of a guardrail broken off on the road. And the taxi flew across the road, went over some guardrail and went into the ravine. And they're both okay, but they're quite banged up. And one of the things I think he said, or it was one of the comments on his channel, were things can change in a second. They were just, they just gone out for, they're an attractive looking couple. She's very good looking. He's very, he's, uh, you know, he's handsome and he's got muscles, you know, and they went to the bar there and they were having a good time and, you know, just on vacation and coming back from the, you know, coming back from that uh, good time. And the taxi, it was like two seconds, she said, and the thing just, taxi just spun out of control and flew over the guardrail and you know she's kind of banged up in the neck he's he got he got a concussion or a minor head problem and her foot is banged up like i saw the video and it was like things can change in a second nothing in this world is for certain today is a gift tomorrow may not come but jesus says that he is for certain and god says that too and I just cannot believe that that Jesus did worked all this, did all this work, and walked around in the Gospels and said all these things, and it's for nothing that He's never coming. You know, even in the Star Trek episode, that Kirk says, "Well, mankind almost destroyed ourselves, Captain Kirk, but mankind finally achieved peace." And you know, they're in the twenty-fourth century or something. And I'm thinking in their century, in their world, in their universe, in the universe of the show, Jesus never came. He never came. Nobody ever came to earth. Man went out to the stars and is still charting the stars, trying to make, you know, trying to make connection with new life. And I like it. I like the, I like the concept. I love the space series. I love Star Trek. I love Kirk and Spock and McCoy and, and um, Scotty. But Jesus never came. And I don't know why, I just find that kind of sad. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command and he brought forth the earth out of the water and surrounded it with water. I guess is that how God created the world with the canopy? You know, they say there was like a canopy of water and then God surrounded this, this canopy of uh, the earth with this canopy of water, the atmosphere, and then you have the the seas and the rivers and the oceans and then you have land in between these two canopies you know it's like a land sandwich maybe that's what peter's trying to say you know but then he he says then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood 
So it's like the sea rose up to destroy the people on the earth. It almost seems like that's what it's doing now. It's like the earth is rebelling against us. You know, all these pollution problems and earthquakes and diverse places and floods and famines. It's like mankind has abused the world and now the world's taking, you know, fighting back. It's like Mother Nature is saying, I've had enough of you. Now there's some payback. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. Now there's a new, you know, now, now that the earth is threatened not by water but by fire. And it's the fire of the holy God. And I think that's fire winds because that's what it says. Revelation 20 verses 10. Fire came down from heaven and consumed them all. But it's not just random fire. It's not a comet storm. It's actually God's holy fire. It's God's holy judgment. Does anybody really want to hear that? Do the people who are plotting, you know, this world and how we're going to have this nirvana and we're going to build this utopia. Does anybody really want to hear something like that coming from somebody saying that the Bible says that that's not how it's going to turn out? Man is not the arbitrator of his fate. God is. God wins. But the earth, but the sin does not win. It says, it says, and by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment. Wow, when ungodly people will be destroyed. He says, you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. Is there a reason why we have six days of creation and, and one day of rest? Is that, do are how many thousands of human history, years of human history have we had on this planet? Is it 5,000 years? Is it 6,000 years? Is the millennium a seven, is the beginning of the seven, seventh thousand years? And is the millennium like a giant Sabbath? Is that is that why there's a millennium, you know? It doesn't say here day is a thousand years. It says day is like a thousand years. That's a simile, not a metaphor. Is it Peter just talking? He just pulled those two things out of his head, two contrasting things to show you that God is above time? I don't know. Is there a hidden message or a hidden key in here? I guess there could be. I really don't know. It just seems like he was just sort of putting two things together to say that with God, there is no such thing as time. When God says something is happening soon, it could be five, six, seven thousand years before it happens. God saw what sin could do to us, but he also saw his son coming back at the end of the world. As soon as he was talking to Adam and Eve, God saw the whole thing because he, he sees above time. Not only does he see above it, he makes it. He makes it happen. The day of the Lord will come as expectantly as a thief. What is the day of the Lord? Is that Revelation 19 verse 11? Is that Revelation 20? The day of the Lord, I thought, is when Jesus appears. I thought, I thought that was Revelation 19 11. Is, is that the rapture that everybody says might happen in 1 Thessalonians 4 13? And the day of the Lord, like how many day of the Lords are there? I don't know. I mean, they call it the Lord's Day. Sunday's called the Lord's Day from Revelation 1 10. When I got to the Christian church, it's like, that's not the Lord's Day. But you know what? To me, I don't have to be proving everything now with a preponderance of verses. That's the tradition. That's what it's called. It's the Lord's Day. Sunday's the day that Jesus showed up. Not to sound too cavalier. It's the day he rose out from the dead. The day that he rose to new covenant life. And the day of the Lord will be when the dead in Christ shall rise first in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Is that the day of the Lord? It says, Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. I think that's Revelation 20. 
But then again, First Thessalonians, or is it Second Thessalonians? Let me read Second Thessalonians. Let me find it here. So I'm going to look for it now, and for some reason it is eluding me. Second Thessalonians one. Second uh, Thessalonians one seven and eight. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Does it sound like God is going to hurt people? Why is God delaying his second coming? Do you think he wants to do this? If you have children and some of them are good and some of them are disobedient to you and the disobedient ones will never obey you and they're going to face you without the Savior. And your very essence is so powerful and decimating. It's going to go through them like in the Indiana Jones movie. Do you think that God wants to pulverize his children, all of his children that he loves? Do you think this is like a threat? You know, the God of Mount Sinai carrying a big stick and coming back to pulverize people who don't agree with him? Like, I think there is going to be a pulverizing, but God's not going to be happy. I think that's why it seems that he has delayed his coming. Because it says in, sec in Titus somewhere, it says, God desires that every man be saved. Either Titus or Timothy, every man should be saved. That's what God wants. He never wanted um, to, to hurt anybody. He wanted to build relationship with every single human being. But God has given himself or he has tied his own hands. He wants you to choose him. He wants you to initiate relationship. He's initiated relationship. He wants you to show some interest. And it says the majority of people on planet Earth won't. Few there be that find it. When I read that verse, few there be that find it. That's kind of scary because I'm usually the guy who doesn't find it. I'm usually the guy who gets locked out. I don't usually make the frozen chosen or the chosen frozen. I, I don't want to get locked out. I want to live. Verse 11, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. I do fear God, I do have, but I have reverence for God. I have, you know, the angels, he's so pure, the angels cannot look at him. That's what it says, they veil their faces. But it's God saying he wants you to live a godly life, a holy life, a relational life, a transformational life. Maybe do you have to get a little bit scared to do that? Like people just kind of abuse their bodies when they're young and they live any way they want. And then something happens, they go to the doctor. And I'm not saying that everybody goes to the doctor and gets a bad diagnosis, it's their fault. But then they've kind of abused themselves and they go to the doctor and the doctor says, uh, you know, because of what you've been doing or eating or whatever, smoking, you've been, you, you've got a problem now and you need to, you need to wake up. You know, my dad had a wonderful guy that used to work for him. I mean, his name was Bill and he was built like a hockey puck. You know, he has so much strength, but he was like a hockey puck, just all around. And Bill was a very nice guy. You know, he talked to me really nice when I helped my dad at the shop my jet my dad was a neon glass bender he had his own business and he had these guys working for him to to um make the plastic part of the sign and also to make the um the steel part 
there was like a steel casing at the back of the sign and this guy bill was so strong you know he was like an endomorph just he wasn't he didn't have shape but he just had strength but he wasn't very tall but he was a hard drinker and i remember that he went to the doctor and the doctor said you've got cirrhosis of the liver something is wrong with your liver i didn't know too much about that but i do know that it was a serious dire prognosis and he quit drinking he tried to you know be eating healthier and getting rest and he quit the drinking but unfortunately because of the amount of years that he had done this um he didn't win and he lost his life and i just remember i just remember that he was you know you think of somebody who's kind to you and then you know they're not there anymore you know my dad helped so many people in his shop and some of them left some of them went looking somewhere else but a few of them came back to thank my dad and there's a few guys left i think one guy's in florida but i would say half of them died my dad's 94 years old he he out survived guys that were younger than him by god's grace but it was like all those dudes that were working for my dad he tried to give them a chance and some of them tried to learn but some of them they had very hard lives you know they kind of abused their bodies you know and bill really tried to reform and turn around but he had just done too much damage my cousin said the liver can regenerate itself but i don't know i don't think so I I think that once you damage your liver l- with so much like this you know once you damage your liver like to the certain point it can't recover verse 12 looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along on that day he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames but we are looking to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised a world filled with God's righteousness And so dear friends while you are waiting for these things to happen make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are so pure and blameless in his sight. You know I really love church. I look at the people, some people I don't know, some people I I I do know, some people I like, some people I'm kind of scared of. I don't I can't really read them, but I'm thinking we got a hope. You know, we're not just singing these songs for no reason. We got a hope. We're not just listening to the pastor when he talks about a living hope. He's talking about transformational life. a life that's going to be lived in front of God and through God forever like it's not a pipe dream it's not a story it's not a snow white story they lived happily ever after it's for real it's for real it's a journey it never ends but the journey starts now take the journey you won't be sorry i think of my life i walked into the baptist church in 2018 i told the pastor i said my marriage is not working anymore You know, I was just trying to exchange one set of beliefs for another and I didn't know all these things were going to happen to me, but you know what? I don't regret it. I got launched on a lifetime on a journey that never ends, and I just sit in church and I hear and I listen and I try to pray and I I try to learn the lessons that I'm, you know, and I try to use the church, the church's resources. You know, it's 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 a sermon, it's a fellowship group, it's a potluck. Um I want to I would like to have prayer and before I would like to come for prayer and I would like to have a Sunday school. Church should be open for business on Sunday because it's a slice of heaven. But if you pursue these things, you're pursuing God. Aren't you showing God you're serious? Aren't you showing God, yes sir, I want to live with you forever. I don't just think it's religion. 
I'm not just there to hear my pat sermon and then go home. Isn't it to be more than that? It's a relationship with God. It's a perfect relationship, but all like all relationships, it's kind of hard work. All relationships are hard work. Hey, I don't have a marriage, so do as I say, not as I do. But for those of you who do have relationships, who do have a marriage, say, or do have a functioning marriage, you know it's hard work. But is it is it not worth it? Is it not worth it? Make every effort to be found living peaceful. Making making every effort does not sound like something apathetic or God's doing everything and I'm not doing anything. You got to open the door. You got to initiate something. David David was a man after God's own heart. You mean God God wants David to chase after him but he doesn't want us? God did his part. He didn't have to. We're the ones that slapped God in the in the garden of Eden or Adam and Eve slapped God in the garden of Eden and said, "We don't trust you. We're going to chart our own path." God still sent you. He still promised Jesus. He promised Jesus to everybody who wants to turn around and say, "God, I'm coming home." You were right and I was wrong. I'm sorry. I'm coming home, Lord. I'm the prodigal son. I'm the prodigal daughter. I'm coming home, Lord. Lord, I'm coming home. I think that's a song or a hymn. And remember the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. I'm glad God is patient with me. I'm supposed to be patient with other people. Two people from the old church contacted me. I'm just scared of them. I don't want to have any more arguments about doctrines and and hermeneutics and Saturday and you know, how are you doing? And and I was talking to one guy and I just like do I really want to go through this? And then I heard a sermon, if you want mercy from God, you got to show mercy. I do want mercy. I do want to forgive people and I and I do want it, but but sometimes I'm scared of people. Why are you holding on to things that are wrong? So, I'm glad God has given me patience and I have to extend it to people, but I want to be smart too. I don't want anybody to take my peace. So, yes, I'm glad God has given me patience and I want to extend that to other people. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his com- comments are hard, some of his comments are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of scripture, and it will result in their destruction. Can there be people who read the Bible and just twist it up in such a bad way? I'm I'm all for people reading the Bible and having different hermeneutics and a different opinion, but th- but this passage seems to suggest that they haven't just they don't just have a different opinion. It's gone off the rails. Something has gone awry inside that person's thinking. That person has gone um is that person asking God for wisdom? Is that person just saying this is what I think and it can't be any other way? What is their attitude? What how is it that people are using the scriptures, God's words and twisting it all up like a pretzel which means their destruction? Cuz I read that in the King James and it says resting the scriptures to their own destruction and it's like this is scary. This is scary if people are reading the Bible and believing really wonky ideas that are just nothing to do with relationships and believing that's what God wants from them. That's what we had somehow we are going to church on Saturday and we are scoring points with God more than the people who go on Sunday. The new covenant doesn't say that at all. 
And I wonder to myself, why did I let it go so long? Why did I not open the Bible and crack it open for myself and think for myself? The answer is, I just had too much pride and ego. I just couldn't care less. Peter's final words, I'm warning you ahead of time, dear friends. Be on guard so that you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Do not be carried away by by errors. It doesn't say mis, um, miscalculating people. People who are wicked, like do they have a lot of pride? If they have a lot of pride and ego and they think they're right and everybody has to follow them, I think that's wickedness because people start following them and it's idolatry of that person. It's God and Jesus and you. Or God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, um, the Holy Spirit you. And, and you. However you want to see the Holy Spirit. But when somebody else interposes themselves between you and God, that person is wicked because they're saying that they're going to save you. They may not say it, but that's what they've done. Verse 18, rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory to him, both now and forever. Amen. All glory to Jesus. Focus on Jesus. As the pastor said, we don't just follow right, although right is good. We follow a person and we love a person. And that's Jesus Christ because he is at the right hand of God. He shares the throne with God, his Father, our Father too, because of Jesus. Amen.